Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Romans, the Gospel for Sinners. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Here now to the reading of God's holy word. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. And so let's go to Him dependently in prayer this morning. Our gracious and living God, we pray that You would help us to hear Your Holy Word that we may truly understand, and that in understanding we may believe, and in believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do, through Christ our Lord. Amen. When we think of love, we typically think of it as both relational, but also reciprocal. Think about it this way. The love of a husband for his wife and a wife for her husband. The love of a parent for a child and a child for a parent. The love of a grandparent for a child, which I know something about. But also a, a grandchild for a grandparent. The love of a friend and also of a friend. And, and even the love for our neighbor. Our neighbor is not the unknown world at large, but someone we know, even when introduced in a moment of need. Our love for a friend is formed through that bond of friendship. Our love for our family begins relationally, literally, and grows as we do. And even our love for God and one another flows from His love for us. We love Because he first loved us. It is difficult then to fathom the love of God for us individually and personally before creation. Before we were. Before anyone was. But he did. God the Father chose us in God the Son before the foundation of the world, Paul writes in Ephesians. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Before, think about this, before in the beginning... In love for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He he really did. He really did love us first. Therefore, when Paul says, 
For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, we know, we know that our love for God is not a measured degree of devotion, but rather a relational description. Yes, we are those who love God. Why? Why are we characterized as those? Because He first loved us. Because He first adopted us as His own. Or as John explains it in 1 John, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. And as God is love, and He is, He loved us not in response to our love. But why? According to who He is, according to His sovereign purpose, namely, His glory. It is not a general, not this universal love, oh, you know, God, God loves. No, it's not a general or universal love to be accepted by human will or merit, but it is a sovereign, it is a specific, it is a love that is personal. In her 43rd sonnet, Elizabeth Barrett Browning beautifully begins, How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Or perhaps we too may count, not of our love for God, but of His love for us. As John Stott calls them, Five undeniable affirmations of God's love. Let me count the ways. We are foreknown in love. We are predestined to love. We are called by love. We are justified as love. And we are glorified for love. Let's look at these Four loves, if you will, together. First of all, we are foreknown in love. Often misunderstood, the word translated here, foreknew, means, well, means knowing beforehand. But what kind of knowing? That's the question. What kind of knowing is it? Some had defined the word as prior knowledge of actions and events. A sort of knowing by seeing. As the Arminians argued before the Council of Dort, quote, complete and decisive election occurred because of foreseen perseverance unto the end in faith, conversion, holiness, and godliness. In other words, the Arminians argued, as many today argue, that God foresaw future choices, actions, and behaviors leading to God's election of us. Do you remember how the Council of Dort responded to the Arminians' argument? <laughs> they referred to it as repugnant to the entire of Scripture. <laughs> but why? Why did the church council respond that way? If God, think about it, if God is sovereign and He's unconstrained to time and space, able to see the past, the present, and the future, why does foreknew 
not mean something that God foresaw? Well, I think there's three good reasons. First, arguing for new means foresaw. Well, it disregards the context of the whole book of Romans. And it also disregards the specific context of this verse here. Paul tells us not what God foresaw, but what? Look at the text with me. It's very easy to see. It tells us not what God foresaw, but what? But what He's done. I mean, you just walk through verse 29 and, 20 and 30 with me. God foreknew. God predestined. God called. God justified. God glorified. While God certainly is omniscient, what Paul is telling us about here is his omnipotency. But there's a second reason why I think the Council of Dort was right and the Arminians were wrong. And this is important to note. The object of foreknew is not our actions. The object of foreknew is not our actions, but what? Us. Us. Personally. God knows every person He has chosen in Christ. He's not merely knowing something about you. He knows you. He knows me. It's a relational knowing. We could say that God knows us intimately. But there's a third reason. Think about with me, back to what Paul wrote in the third chapter. If none is righteous, no, not one. If no one understands, no one seeks after God, then what God foresees in us is not a worthiness unto salvation. It's total depravity. Think about that. If foreknowing is looking down the corridor of time, what God knows is that all have sinned and fall short of His glory. If foreknew means foresaw, then for the sovereign love of God, there's nothing to see in us that's worth seeing. <laughs> no, He foreknew us in love according to the purpose of His will, not ours. Before the fall, before we were, before we sinned, God loved you. He loved me personally, setting us apart according to His glorious appointment, predestining us unto adoption. And so I want to look at this predestination. Predestined, as I say, to love. Those whom God foreknew, personally, intimately, He predestined. Predestined, the word, it actually defines itself. Perhaps we make it more complicated than it really is. It simply means to determine destiny beforehand. Also referred to as election. Predestination is God the Father's ordination of only those He foreknew to elect to salvation in Christ. It's actually quite, quite simple, even though oftentimes controversial. In fact, some scholars believe the Greek verb is better translated foreordained. 
rather than predestined. You might translate it this way. Those whom God foreknew, he foreordained. Now whether it's foreordained or whether it's elected or whether it's predestined, it's a word rich with meaning. Now I might add, it is a topic that we are going to consider in greater depth in the coming weeks as we look at the rest of Romans chapter 9. But here, right here this morning, in the case of those whom God foreknew, predestination tells us what? Well, by virtue of its word, what's meaning, it tells us of our destiny, when it was established, and God's purpose in it. While incomprehensible to mere mortals like, like you, like me, even though we don't fully understand it, our destiny was established, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, when? Before the foundation of the world. A date unknown in our linear experience, but a date we might refer to as eternity past. But what was predestined, think about it, while We don't fully understand it. And while it refers back to what God did in eternity past, we do know that what comes from it is part of our linear experience. It's what Paul describes here. It is part of our calling, our justification, including our adoption as children of God through Jesus Christ, which Paul refers to as the firstborn of the family. And our sanctification, in which the Holy Spirit is conforming us evermore to the image of Christ. So, He who came first accomplished, that is Christ, accomplished what God predestined for us. It's a destiny that we experience through what follows in our passage Let's continue to walk through it because we are not only called, or rather we are, we are not other predestined, but so also because we are predestined, we are called by love. Now this word in the text, called, is often misunderstood. Some hear the word and they think of vocation. You might think of someone's calling in that sense. Some hear the word and think Of something that we respond to. Such as responding to the gospel. Perhaps you heard the gospel preached. And you responded to that general call. And so some will think of it in that sense. But as the word is used here. It tells us of what God does. Not of our vocation. Nor of our response. But what God does. We were called By love. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And we refer to this theologically as effectual calling. A supernatural work of God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is a supernatural, mysterious calling. To be clear, effectual calling does include that free offer of the gospel. But it is distinct in several ways. And it's distinct in several ways in the role of the Holy Spirit in it. Think about this with me. First of all, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to our sin and depravity. 
convincing us that we're sinners in need of a Savior. That's part of that calling, that supernatural calling. But also, secondly, the Holy Spirit reveals not only our need for a Savior, but reveals to us our only Savior. Reveals to us Jesus Christ Himself. Scripture says... In Acts chapter 26, that our spiritual eyes, our spiritual eyes are opened and we receive the knowledge of Christ. This is a supernatural work, part of the supernatural calling. But the third aspect of the Holy Spirit's work that I want you to see here, and that is that the Holy Spirit brings us spiritually to life. Jesus explained it to Nicodemus in, by saying what? You must be born again. Paul told Titus, God saved us not by works of righteousness that we have done, but on the basis of His mercy, through the washing of the new birth and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit works supernaturally in us, mysteriously, I know, bringing us to spiritual life. But there's a fourth aspect of the Holy Spirit's work here that's important for us to understand about calling. And that is, based on all that the Holy Spirit does, He helps us to believe the gospel. You see, apart from the Holy Spirit's supernatural work in us, no one, none of us, would believe unless He opens our spiritual eyes to see. As the Shorter Catechism puts it, the Holy Spirit enables us, I love this phrase, enables us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. That's a great way to put it. That's a great way to describe what the Holy Spirit does. He enables us to see Christ as our Savior, but He also enables us to embrace Him as our Savior. And so we believe and trust in the gospel. And so as God is love, you might say that we are effectually called by love. And those called by love, we are then justified as love. We're justified as love. When we hear the word justified, we may think in the sense of being right. Being right. I am justified And what I believe, you might say. But theologically speaking, to be justified is to be considered righteous before God. To be counted right in His sight. In the fifth chapter of Romans, Paul says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Telling us not only how God's wrath has been appeased, but also the means that God uses. The means that God uses is faith. Faith, however, is no more the cause of our justification than our good works. Rather, faith is the means through which we receive it. And this by God's grace. Or as Paul explained it to the Ephesians, by grace... You have been saved through faith. Through faith means the means. And this is not your own doing, Paul goes on to say, but what? He said it's a gift from God. If we're justified as righteous before God as an act of His free grace, how then does God do it? 
Have you ever wondered about that? How does God do this? Well, first of all, He pardons our sin. We're sinners by nature, by thought, by word, by deed. The only way that we can be justified is if God first pardons us, and He pardons us for Christ's sake. Not for anything that we've done, but purely based on Christ's righteousness. Our sins, our sins were judged upon the cross of Christ, and Christ's righteousness imputed to us. So in that sense, we have been pardoned. Our sins have been pardoned, rather, by virtue of what God has done in Christ. But secondly, in addition to the fact that God pardons our sins for Christ's sake, we are accepted as righteous in God's sight for Christ's sake. Our standing before God is one of righteousness. Sometimes we think in the evangelical world that that was a momentary, momentary point and now, well, we're left to live on our own to do just the best that we can do hoping that we do not offend God so much so that He keeps us from His heaven. No. By God's grace, through faith in Christ, we were justified as righteous. Right, counted right, in God's sight, forever. Forever. In the courtroom of God's justice, we stand not in our own, but in Christ's righteousness. In His love, we were justified as love that we might be like Him. The firstborn of our family unto glory. And so we are justified as love. But the ultimate point, and the point where as we walk through this passage, where Paul is taking us is glory. We are glorified for love. Through everything that I've preached up to this point, there should be a sense of assurance. There should be a sense of assurance. And what I mean by that is, is that we have not looked at a list of our accomplishments, nor a list of getting things done. We have looked at what God has done. And that makes all the difference. But I also want you to note here, look at the text with me. Note that all of the verbs are in the past tense. For new, predestined, called, justified, glorified. You see, in the sovereign ordination of God, what He has decreed is as good as done. In the sovereign ordination of God, what He has decreed is as good as done. Of course, it doesn't feel that way to us, does it? Because we are in the here and now of our sanctification. At this point in any other denomination, someone would say, Amen. This is it. This is where we are. We know it, right? I don't have to tell you this. What we already are in Christ, we have not yet finally and completely experienced. This is why, this is why I think it is so important for us to take time and to think deeply about what God has done. This is why it is good for us to take a more theologically focused time in Romans 
a sermon like this just for us to stop and to think, wow, wow, that is what God has done. It's easy to begin to think of the Christian life as self-help for the living. It's really easy to begin to think about your Bible as a self-help manual. It's really easy to think about the church as group therapy. (laughs) And this is one of the number of reasons to think about what is to come. What God has done and what we will be. What God has done and what we will be. Because you see, as consuming as this life seems to be right now, there will be an end to your life and an end to this life as we know it. If the Lord tarries, you and I will die in peace or in pain. God only knows. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and so we shall be. But when the scripture describes our glorification, it looks beyond our absence from the body and looks to the final resurrection of it. On that day, we will not only be with the Lord, we will be like Him. We who were made in the image of God, yet fallen in sin, shall be restored to the perfect image Of the glory of God. We will be in a word. Glorified. Or as John describes it in 1 John. What we shall be has not yet appeared. And we know that when he appears. We shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And so the shorter catechism puts it. We shall be made perfectly blessed. In the full enjoying of God to all eternity. Therefore when Paul says back in the fifth chapter. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This makes that come alive doesn't it? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. He is pointing us to that moment when in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, when the dead will be raised imperishable, we will be changed, Paul told the Corinthians. And so, as we think about the passage in front of us, specifically verses 29 and 30, some have called it the golden chain. As we think about the golden chain of our salvation We do not look at it as a list of terms to be defined. We look at it as connecting links of God's love in our salvation. Though each word is a doctrinal treatise and treasure in itself, Paul links each one of these words crafting the grand narrative of our salvation. In other words, Paul's intention is not for us to stumble upon each one of these doctrinally robust words, but rather we are to see the links, the connections, and to be looking forward to what God has done in Christ. He who loved you before you were set you apart to one day be like His only begotten and His child forever. 
In love, He called you to Himself. For His Son's sake, He counted you as righteous. But the true story, the true story of God's love doesn't stop there, but it goes on. Not to a happy ending, but to a happy eternity. Where we will indeed be Christ-like, enjoying the unfailing love of God forever. Listen to it. Listen to it again. Let us look at it once more through the lens of God's love. Let us meditate upon this sovereign love of God. Let me count the ways. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank You for the truth of Your Word. And we thank You that our salvation is not based on what we do or even our response to You, but rests squarely upon what You have done. We thank You for Your perfect will. And we rest in this truth that we will one day be glorified. Enjoying you forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.